Manhood and Christlikeness are synonymous. Why does this affect us? You're about to find out. Welcome to the Man Church Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Man Church Podcast. Pastor Robert here with uh, with a new message for this month. And uh, the Man Church Podcast is really just a a podcast centered around manhood and Christ-like being synonymous, being the main, being identical, and being the same thing. If we want to be better men, we study the life of Christ, and uh, we we begin to understand what He was doing, and uh, we begin to understand the character traits of what a real man is. You know, in today's world, masculinity is seen as something that is uh, toxic that we don't need. But what we really need is more true masculinity, which is being godly and being uh, men of, of character, of integrity, of courage. And uh, that's how we're going to change the world, one man at a time, by implementing these things into our lives. You know, I, I, I've been uh, in a book called Take Your Place by Pastor G.F. Watkins, and uh, it's a great book on fathering. It's really his relationship with the late Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole. Dr. Edwin Lewis Cole and uh, G.F. Watkins had a spiritual father-spiritual son relationship for a season of Pastor G.F.'s life, and he really fathered uh, G.F. Watkins as he began Powerhouse Church in Katy and as he began doing men's ministry all over the world. And um, that book is very—if if you don't have that book, I would recommend you buy that book— and just begin to read through that book and some of the principles that are found in that book on spiritual fathering. Because one of the things that we need in order to restore fathering is, uh, or, or restore manhood, that is, is fathers. Fathers are the ones that raise up men to become better men. And one of the things that we're struck with today or, or stuck with today is the idea of fatherlessness and this plague of fatherlessness. If you go into the schools, if you go into uh, the culture, you'll find that a lot of, of fathers uh, are missing from the home. Uh, divorce is at an all-time high, and most of the time, I live in Texas, uh, most of the time when, when a father and, a, and a, when a, a, a man and a woman get divorced, the women are actually left uh, with the child. And so that child grows up without a father figure and without that, um, that father model and uh, that manhood model, especially for a boy. It's important for a girl, too. I have all girls. It's important for them to see the manhood model from a father. Um, and one of the things that I, that, I, that I wanted to talk about this morning is the idea of generational thinking. Um, I, I feel like we've lost the idea of thinking generationally because we've, got, we've come to a place where we want to do things fast. And when you think generationally, you can't do things fast. It's very intentional. It's, uh, it's actually, it takes time. It takes time to raise a son. And so, you know, in the old, in movies like Gladiator or, or uh, a movie on uh, the monarchies of England, there was always this, uh, this underlying uh, pressure on the king to raise up a successor, to have a son, the heir to the throne. And just generational thinking in the ancient world was so ingrained into every leader because they knew that if they could raise a son it would have, that, that would have his DNA, 
that the legacy would continue. And in today's world, we've kind of like stepped away from that and we'll hire somebody to take our place uh, and uh, that usually doesn't have our DNA, that usually was raised up in another place. And we're so quick, you know, uh, CEOs are just, uh, when they when they run their contract out, they hire a new one. And then the organization basically has to learn the vision and the ways of that new one to take it to the next level. Uh, I'm going to challenge your thought process here today to think generationally. You know, even in church, you know, if we're not careful, we'll spend our whole 10, 20, 30 years in ministry just ministering and not being intentional about raising up the next generation of leadership in that church. And so what, we, what we'll find is we'll find ourselves 20, 30, 40 years in ministry without a successor. And so the what's at stake is, is the church going to shut down when we're done? Or are we going to have to hire somebody from the outside to take the church to the next level? And will that church even look the same if we hire someone that has a different DNA? So one of the ideas of fathering is to get back to generational thinking. The idea that we can raise uh, a son up to, to continue the work, the spiritual work that we're doing as men. Um, of course, it's easy to see it when you have natural children. If you're, if you're a man and you're listening to the podcast and you have a, you have a son or you have a daughter you know, they're, they look like you. They, you know, you've raised them. And so you can see that you want to raise them up with the DNA of your family so that they can continue the name of your family. And, of course, that's important. But we all know that as men, God has raised us up to make disciples. So, yes, we are to be great husbands and great fathers to our wives and to our natural children. But we're also to be spiritual fathers to our spiritual children. And the fulfillment of a man comes from actually making disciples and teaching them how to observe the things that God has written. In Matthew 28, he gave us the commission. He said, I want you to go go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so... The challenge for men today is, am I being a generational thinking father? I want to pose that question to you. How, how do I become more of a generational thinking father? I would say there's three. There's, of course, this is not exhaustive. This is just in my studies. What I found is that the first thing is it's hard to be a father until you first have been a son. So for every man listening to the podcast today, listen, the first place you have to start is, are you being a good son to a spiritual father? Do you have a spiritual father? Have you picked a spiritual father? Uh, is there someone in your life, is there a man, a father figure in your life that you can look to that has the permission to speak into your life frankly and to be able not to just give you attaboys and pats on the back, but to also be able to correct you, to rebuke you, to call out the blind spot in your life. That's really what we need. Because if we can't put ourselves underneath and submit ourselves to a father, then it will be very hard for us to raise up sons who, will, who would be willing to submit to us. So the first, the first thing that I, that I want you to understand is 
We have to learn to be fathered. How do we do that? The first way is by submission. So I want to I wanna say this. This is understood. I'm not talking about submitting to something toxic. I'm not talking about submitting to something that's not right, something that's sinful. I'm talking about uh, submitting to a man that has the character and integrity of a godly man. I'm talking about picking a father, a spiritual father, a father figure who demonstrates character and integrity in, in their life. So one of the most important things, decisions that you'll make is to find that person. You know, it could be your pastor. It could be a leader in the church that is a little ahead of you. It could be someone that your pastor is working with, or it could be, you know, like I said, it could be your pastor directly. But the important thing is to find a person that is transparent, that has character, that has integrity. And remember, a a good spiritual father, a correct spiritual father, is never going to ask you to sin. He's never going to ask you to sin. That's why it's important that as a man, as a son, that you are 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 well versed in the word of God so that you can't be astrayed from the word led astray from the word of God. So remember a father a spiritual father will never ask you to sin. It will always when there is conflict or when there is disagreement what I found in my relationship with GF Watkins as my spiritual father is most of the time the things that he asked me to do that that I don't really want to do or like or agree with are mostly procedure and uh, it's, it's, it's important to be able to discern sin versus procedure. You know, you could do things a thousand different ways. And uh, if you have a father and he's suggesting that you do it a certain way, you know, why not, why not just try it that way? Why not just submit myself to that, that advice and implement that advice? I mean, it would, be, it, would, it would be kind of foolish for me to pick a spiritual father, but then all of the advice that's given— to, to just toss it to the side and not use it and not be, like, uh, excited about implementing it. But we all do get there. So what's the point? In other words, what's the point of asking for advice if we, we're not going to use the advice? It'd be just as bad as not having someone giving advice. So submission is, is, a, is a key word. And, you know, submission is hard for a man because it challenges everything in us especially if you're a type a personality you're you're driven and you want to succeed and you've been you've been raised in this competitive edge world you know submission is tough Um, but it is something that we need to give ourselves to and it is something that we need to have in our lives if i expect my wife to submit to me and to my leadership over my family then i have to demonstrate being submitted myself to someone over the top of me, to an authority figure over me. And that's G.F. Watkins, my spiritual father. So when I demonstrate to my wife what it is to submit, she actually has a better uh, a better understanding and, and actually can submit to me in the same way. Now, remember, any kind of submission is difficult. It, ca- it, it, requires, us, it requires us to die to ourselves, to die to our preferences, to die to things that we think, um, but it's all healthy and it's all useful because it drives the selfishness out of our lives. That's what I found in my life, that the more I submit, the more I become the image of God, that the more I become a servant 
that humility kind of still permeates my life. And I don't get in a place of pride where I think I have all the answers all the time. And uh, it's a beautiful thing when you find the right combination, when you find that spiritual father, he can speak into your life and, and call out blind spots in your life that actually help my wife and help my children because they know their, their, their husband and their dad is a man under authority. You know, Jesus marveled at the centurion's faith. He didn't marvel that the centurion was in authority. He marveled at his faith at his at his faith because he was under authority. The centurion knew who he was and that he was under authority. And actually, Jesus actually identified with him and said, I recognize that you're under authority because me I myself am under authority. Jesus was always under the authority of God the Father. What a pattern. What a pattern to submit to. Can we be found under authority? Being under authority is the place of power. So the first step is submission. The second one is alignment. We all need a spiritual father to align to. Uh, uh, We align to the word of God. We align to God. And when we find that right man that God puts in our life, we align to that man. All of those things should align together. Christ is the head. The word of God and the man of the, the the men, the father figures that God gives us, all should align together. It's our job to align to that, to submit to that, and to line up to that. Not them to line up to us. And so, again, this is just another example of how God uses alignment and fathers to cause us to challenge ourselves to grow. There's growth when I align. There's growth when I choose by my own free will to align to my spiritual father's schedule of when he's available rather than to have him align to mine. Now, some people would say, well, that's crazy. You know, that's too much. It's just an exercise. It's just a place of saying, Robert, will you die to yourself and your calendar and your ways and align to someone else's? Will you keep that humility in your life? Will you keep that loyalty in your life, that faithfulness in your life? That's what God's trying to work in me, is he's trying to make me more loyal, more faithful, more uh, submitted into the, and, and so that I can look like him. So when the world sees me, they see Christ in me. It has more to do with me than it has to do even my spiritual father of who I'm aligning to. He's playing a role in my life, and I choose to align to that role. It keeps me humble, and it's a demonstration of humility to the men that are watching me. Listen, man, one thing you got to understand is that someone's always watching you. Someone is always watching you. Your children are watching you. Your wife is watching you. Your church is watching you. The men at your work are watching you. And when you live this life of submission and alignment, they begin to get a demonstration, not just an explanation. We do a lot of talking and sometimes we need to do more doing and we we need to become, we need to demonstrate and show somebody what it is to submit and what it is to align. And the third thing that it takes is commitment. So it takes submission, it takes alignment, it takes commitment. Commitment means you need to be committed. You need to stay in it. You need to quit taking yourself out of the game. Don't jump teams. 
if I've seen something that, that has been a, a detriment to ministry, to discipleship, to growth, is that the minute that it gets hard, the minute that chaos hits, the minute that crisis hits, the minute that something is asked of me that is hard, I uproot myself to go to another place. And I lose the ability to work through that dry season, through that tough season, through that hard season. And that season was there and ordered by God to grow me into something stronger. But if we uproot ourselves, if our commitment level is not there, and the first sign of trouble comes, and we bolt because we're trying to save our reputation, because we're trying to... to uh, uh, whatever the excuse is, and we don't stay planted, we lose the power of growth in a dry season, in a tough season. Those seasons come to make us stronger. Those seasons come to make us more loyal, to make us more faithful, to make us more powerful. Can you be committed? Transplants, you know, I always talk to our, our, when we do our, our membership classes, I talk to people you know, if you have one transplant in your natural body, if you transplant one organ, you know, you, you, you might have one successful transplant. The chances of you surviving multiple transplants of different organs in the course of your life are very small. They're very rare. So when God puts the body together, the Bible says that he puts it together as he wishes. And he puts you in a place and he puts you with certain people because he picked you to be there. And so many times we transplant ourselves into a different body that we really shouldn't be transplanted. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't move us. I'm not saying that God doesn't have seasons and assignments. But, you know, some, some of the movement that we see in the body of Christ today is not God. It's just us not wanting to be challenged. It's us not wanting to die to ourselves. So you got to be committed. You got to be committed to the team that God's brought you to. And don't be looking around. You know, sometimes they say the grass is always greener on the other side. You know, and you know, you might get on a team and you might get in the kitchen with your team and find out that there's there's some flaws in your team. Well, guess what? There's flaws on the other teams. There's flaws in this church. There's flaws in this network. Everywhere you go, there's going to be flawed flaws because we're flawed people. And when you get a bunch of people together, you're going to see the flaws. And when you get in the kitchen, you're really going to see the flaws. The question, though, is God put you there, didn't he? And if he put you there, can you be committed to it? And don't you believe that God can use whatever and whomever to grow you into the image of Christ? Don't. I'm not talking about capitulating to sin. I'm not talking about compromising the word of God. When it comes to the Word of God, when it comes to sin, absolutely, you hold your ground. I'm talking about procedure. I'm talking about growing in Christ and allowing other people to sharpen to sharpen me as I sharpen them. And that causes us to be committed. So that's those are the three things today on the podcast that we need. And man, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. I want you to ask yourself, am I submitted? Do I have someone to submit to? The second thing is, am I aligning? Am I making moves to be where I need to be because that's where my team is? And the third thing is, am I committed? 
Have I uprooted myself? You know, sometimes you can uproot yourself, not even physically. You can, your heart can uproot from that team. And you can be there going through the motions, but you're really not committed because your heart is left. So I want to ask you today, man, will you submit, will you align, and will you commit? God bless you. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're hungry for more, catch up on our previous episodes by searching Man Church on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. To watch this episode on YouTube, go to Powerhouse Church's YouTube channel. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment and review so more men can find these episodes. To learn more on why manhood and Christlikeness are synonymous, go to manchurchinternational.com. See you on the next episode.